My name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. Uh, thanks for being a part of our services today. I'm a dad, and uh, I think being a dad, I think about being a dad, first of all, as a package deal with me and my wife, which makes it a whole lot easier to say that being a dad is the favorite thing about my life. Because people are like, well, what about your wife? Well, for me, being a dad in, includes so much uh, of my relationship with her, and this is kind of like the way we both feel. Being parents is the, is the coolest. I love it with like all of my heart. There's, there's nothing I'm more excited about. And I think back uh, over the lifetime of each one of our kids, and all three of our kids have, have grown up and have moved on. Our youngest is a freshman in college. And there are certain conversations that stand out from their childhood uh, and into their teenage years. And most often, it wasn't the conversations um, where everything was scripted, right? But it was, it was these times where we had carved out um, space uh, to be together. Often that happens in the kitchen, at the dining room table, um, over a fire pit, um, when I'm uh, tucking the kids in at night, right? It's like those, it's the informal thing, but it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the thing that happens because we made time for it thing. It's those, those kitchen conversations. Um, I've had some really great coaches in my life, and I hope there's somebody out there in Stoughton that thinks I was a good coach, non-competitively in Little League sports, but it's them, um, it's those, those right before you, you go out and take the field speeches, the locker room speeches, right? Like those are the ones that seem to be the things that the kids remember that gives them the extra juice to go out onto the field. And, and then uh, as, as a church, it's, it's the weekends. Like it's the weekends where we carve out time to hear from God, uh, where we, uh, we make space uh, to be in proximity to each other like we're doing right now, to look at what the Bible has to say uh, to us about the way we actually live our lives. That affects what we do next. But in the same way that our, our conversations in the kitchen are important or the pregame speech in the locker room is important from the coach or even the weekends are, I believe what's more important is what happens in the life of my kid after we're done talking in the kitchen. Right, like that's what makes that conversation so meaningful, is because of the way it impacted my kids after the conversation was over. The speeches that we remember from our student athlete days, are from our coaches, are probably the speeches that the coaches gave right before the game that we played, where we felt like we did our best. I mean, it was the it was the way we played on the field that made the speech before it means so much to us. And in the exact same way, I believe it's everything that happens after we get in our car and leave the church parking lot that determines the value or the quality or the impact of everything that was done during the weekend service. Um, I heard it put this way. The work begins in the locker room, but the work happens on the field. I think we could also say that the work begins in the kitchen conversations, but the work happens uh, once the kids get up for school the next day. The work begins right now in the weekend teaching, but the work happens once this service is over today. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. It's everything that you do after you've heard everything that we're going to be talking about. 
In this one another series that we're doing, we're looking at three of the most important commands that God ever, ever gave. And surprisingly, none of these commands have anything to do with the form and function of the weekend environment. What we think of when we think of church is the service on the weekend. It's in the building. It's got a dude up front uh, who's preaching from the Bible. There's singing. Uh, there's there's communion. Um, there's prayer. And maybe there's a, a candle or a poem or scripture reading. There's different things. like That's what we think of. But when we look at the important things that God said to us, it actually had nothing to do with how many songs that we sing or uh, how many times we stand up, sit down, whether or not we even light candles. It was all of the stuff he told us that affects everything we do after we leave the environment with the candles, after we walked out of the room where the person was up front reading the Bible. It's all of the one another's. So in the first week, we looked at what I believe is the most important of the things that God gave us to do once we leave the locker room, once we drive off the church parking lot, and that's to love one another. The second thing last week we looked at being devoted to each other uh, in when we, when we gather together uh, in our fellowship with each other, to the scriptures uh, with each other, and in prayer with each other. And then this week, we're looking at what I believe is probably the most difficult of those top three, and that's to serve one another. The reason why I say it's the most difficult, because I think it's the one we can fake uh, the least. Like I can say and I can fool myself into believing that I I love everybody. Now we we said that it's more than just having positive intentions for people uh, when we introduced this this one another two weeks ago, um, but I, I can fake that one pretty good. It's this devoted to one another one that I can. There's going to be a few people in my life that are automatically going to say, "Yeah, Sean's Sean's devoted to the one another's. He's devoted to other Christians." And I've I've felt that, but it's still going to be a smaller number of people. But it's this serving one another thing that you can't really like. This is going to be something that everybody or a whole lot more people is going to be able to say see whether or not you actually live this one out. This one is going to take more from you than the other two. And I'll, I'll give you a really good, good example. This this past week, uh, Ken, Pastor Ken from the Avon location told me uh, that he sold his house and he gave me the day that he has to be moved out because that's the closing date and the new people move in. And then he gave me the date that he was going to be moving into his new place with the U-Haul and, and all of his furniture. And he was giving me this information probably hoping or expecting that I would volunteer to help. Now, the truth is, I absolutely love Ken like a brother. I'm devoted to Ken. I'll be there for him, right? But when he told me the dates that he needed help to move his furniture, and I looked on the calendar, if I'm going to be completely transparent and honest with you, I'm going to let you know that I was pretty relieved to find out that I'm going to be on the mission trip in Kenya when he's moving. So it's like, oh man, I wish I could help you, right? But on the inside, but I'm like, but I'm so glad I don't have to. Like, right? So I'm, I love him with all of my heart. Um, I'm devoted to him as, as one of my best friends in the entire world. But even with the people that I love, when it comes to serving one another, man, that's, that's the last one we want to go all in on because it takes so much from us. Like this one actually leaves a hole in our calendar. It leaves a hole in our pocketbook. It it leaves a hole in, in what we do this next week and, and who we hang. Like it, 
This is the one that requires us to make the most adjustments. And I think that's the reason why serving one another is so difficult. Um, and, and I'm going to give you this caveat. The, I think the exception for this is, is with parents. It really is. Now, that doesn't mean that parents always love serving their kids, but I think it's a natural desire that God puts in us as parents to serve our, our children. So we're serving our kids all, all of the time. It's, it's an instinct that God's given us. And we're thankful that our parents had that instinct. If you had parents that had that instinct and if your parents did not have that instinct, it's a, it left a big hole in your, your life. Also, I'm, I'm saying that the, the parent thing that, that comes with the role of parent. And so when I'm talking about serving one another, I'm not talking about the people that we're obligated to serve. Um, it's, it's, it's a whole lot easier for me to take vacation time to help Ryan move in to his dorm, even if it's in Kentucky, than it is for me to take a day off from work to help Ken move into his house in Holbrook. And it's because of the connection that I have to Ryan as a family member versus Ken who's a part of our of our, our church family, like it's different. So I don't want us to let ourselves off the hook too easily when we think of all of the different ways in which we're serving the people that we're obligated to serve. Um, but it does come more naturally to serve family, which is probably the reason why God calls us as his family to serve each other. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. But I think I'm a little bit more like the disciples uh, in this area than I am like Jesus. The disciples were always arguing, like it's like three different times in the New Testament, uh, where it talks about the way they argued over who was the most important. That, that's kind of an embarrassing detail for them to put in the Bible on about themselves, unless it's true. So to me, it's one of the evidences of the truthfulness of the, the, the biblical narrative. But they were constantly worried about how they ranked against each other. And I, I do that. I hate that I do that, but I do. When I follow a, a friend on Instagram, one of the first things that I look for besides what kind of picture he or she has for their Instagram profile pic, the next thing I look at is how many followers they have. Like, do you do that? And then if they have more than me, then I'm wondering how or why they, like, why do they have more than me? Because in my head, I'm above them. <laughs> I, this is really embarrassing to be talking about, but it's it's one of the things that I do, and I'm constantly worried about how many people, uh, like where I am in the social ladder. I, I think about this uh, in terms of my my friendship groups uh, from high school. Like I'm I'm best friends with Danny Crawford, uh, but uh, Paco Garcia says he's best friends with Danny Crawford. So then there was always, at least in college for sure, there's that little bit of insecurity in my head wondering which one of us Danny Crawford would say he was best friends with, right? And maybe that, that kind of fear or insecurity shows up in, in your heart in a different way. That's just how it shows up in mine. So the disciples were having that kind of an argument as to um, who had the most followers on TikTok, right? Who had the most likes on their post? And this is in Luke chapter 22, verse 25. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. So they, 
they lorded over people, and the people that they lorded over will refer to them as a friend of the people. Verse 26, but among you, it's going to be different, Jesus said. So he said, the, the most important people in our culture are the people who sit on top of the most people. It's the people who have, it's, it's the people with the blue check mark after their name. In our culture, those are the most important people. We have a whole name for them now. They are influencers. And those people will actually get paid just to keep showing pictures and videos of themselves. And there's a lot of people trying to be the exact, not, not, now listen, if, if that's what you do for a, a living, I mean, I don't, you're completely self, I'm just kidding. There's not, I mean, everybody's gotta make a living somehow, right? So whatever, my, my point is Jesus said, I don't want that to be the goal though for, for you. Like it's, it's gonna be different for you. I don't want you to connect your value. I don't want you to connect your identity to the number of people that you're over, the number of people that support your platform. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leaders should be like a servant. Then Jesus asks a rhetorical question that he gives the answer for when he says, who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves the person sitting at the table? Well, obviously, and Jesus gives us the obvious answer, it's the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. That's not how we're going to do things as a church. With those who claim to follow me, Jesus, we're not going to measure each other by who is serving and who is being served. And we're not going to add more value to those that are being served. He says, because I am among you as one who serves. So what he says, it's, it's not going to be like that here. So in the kingdom of God, in the church, the greatest person isn't the one who sits at the table. It's the person who sets the table. It's the person who clears the table. It's the one who washes the table after every... Here's the thing. There is a scoreboard that God is keeping track of. And what he says is, the person that I say is winning is the person who's doing the best at serving. God says, I'm giving more credit to the person who sets up the table, who gets the folding chairs out of the basement, who runs to the store to get the ice for everybody else at the party. That's the person that Jesus said, I, that's the person I'm looking for. That's the kind of leader that, that's going to be great from my perspective. Those are the ones I'm going to change the world through. And I think that's crazy. But it helps me picture more, a little bit more accurately, what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he said this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. He goes on to say that if anybody wants to be my follower, you have to turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and actually follow me. But what do you mean by turning from your selfish ways? That means that you're going to look at your life differently. And the way that you're going to start looking at your life is as a tool to be leveraged. Anyone who wants to be a Christian, anybody who wants to take up their cross, deny themselves and follow me, 
anybody who is going to claim the name of Jesus, the very first thing they've got to struggle with is, what's the most important thing in their life? What they get or what they give? Who knows them or the number of people they serve? The selfish person, truthfully, can't be like Jesus because they don't have the capacity to be like Jesus. And since I have chosen to become a follower of Jesus, I am thinking that of all of the different one another's in the New Testament, I think this is the one that I personally, Sean, this is the one that I need the most work on. Rick Warren said this about people who have a hard time with this. He said, uh, he's a famous pastor, wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. You might've heard about it. I think it was one of the very first Oprah Winfrey's book club of the month or book of the month thing that she did a long time ago. He said, until you experience the transforming power of God's grace in your life, you're too enslaved by your own hurts, habits, and hangups to think much about other people. <laughs> What he's saying is that, Sean, the reason why you have such a hard time taking care of other people, using your life as a tool to be leveraged in service to me and to others, is because you are obsessed with yourself. You have unhealthy habits. You're broken. You're not secure in your identity. Like, you've, you're emotionally damaged. That's the reason... Only the emotionally healthy person, the self-aware person, has the capacity to live their lives in service to others. So maybe for some of us, our first step, before we start thinking about other people, maybe the first step is to become a healthy person first. Maybe the best thing that can come from the teaching today is that you carve out some time to go to God with the hurts that you're still carrying. Like there's a reason why you're obsessed with the number of likes you get on your Instagram posts. Like there's some brokenness there that has to do with the value you've placed on yourself because of things other people have said. And in some way I'm trying to validate who I am with the acceptance of total strangers based on what I post online, right? Maybe that's not you. Maybe that was so specific because it has more to do with me than it does than it does with you. Maybe your needs weren't met as a child, and so you're obsessed with making sure that you always have enough and not just enough, but more than enough, or seen to be a person of means because you grew up in a household without them. It's it's our brokenness that keeps us from being the kind of people that help other people in their brokenness. So maybe your prayer could be, God, fix the brokenness in me as I serve those who are broken around me. Because I also don't think that you ought to wait until every part of your life is completely healthy before you start doing anything with your life. There's a very real possibility that in learning to serve others selflessly, I myself become more whole and healthy. Jesus modeled what it looked like to turn from our selfish ways and to take the role of a godly leader in John chapter 13. Now, in this chapter, Jesus is about to give 
Uh, this is the Last Supper scene. Um, in John, we have like five, four or five chapters of all of the different things that Jesus talked about uh, during the Lord's Supper, during that, that Passover Seder on the night that Jesus was betrayed, like the night before he's crucified. This is the last conversation that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. And at the very beginning of the night, when they first sit down to eat, here's what happens in John chapter 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. And I'm going to pause right there. What would you do? Like I can think of two places in the Bible where it says that Jesus had authority over everything. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go into all the world, make disciples, and he commissions the church to make, make disciples, baptize disciples, and teach them to follow all of the things that I've, I've taught you. And the only other place in the Bible that I know about, that I can think of at least right now in this moment, where all authority had been given to Jesus is right now in this moment. So let me ask, if you're in this position, in all authority right now you come to the realization, holy cow, all authority and the world has been given to me. What's the very next thing you're going to do when all authority has been given to you? What would that be? Like I'm thinking, what would I do? If all authority had been given to me by God in this world, what would I do? Bro, I'd start taking over crap. That's what I would do. I'd start taking over things, right? I would, I would, I would start my business now. I would, I would, I would, I would go recruit a team of investors. I would buy the rental property. Um, I would buy the lotto ticket. I'd, I'd run for office because I knew like all authority has been given to me. Dang it. I'm going to get what's coming to me. That's, that's, that's what I do. I want you to see, I want you to see how, how unlike Jesus, your pastor is. I want you to see how unlike Jesus I am. Because those are all of the things that I would do if all authority in earth was given to me. So when Jesus when all authority has been given to him, here's what he does in verse four. So he gets up from the table, right? You ready? He took off his robe. I'm wondering how jacked he is now, right? Like this is an awkward moment. He takes off his robe. He wraps a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. The very first thing that Jesus, the most healthy, like we know that Jesus is God in the flesh, but Jesus was also fully human. He's the perfect example of what it means to be fully and healthy as human. And when all authority in the entire world was given to Jesus, the first thing that he does is get on his knees in front of this group of 12 morons. <laughs> And he serves them. Like that's the exact opposite thing that I would have done. He serves them. The core group of the very first church he would ever have. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 and 8 describes this when it says, uh, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. I have a, I have a hard time with that. Um, I, am, I, I can be selfish. And even like when I put together talks like this, like a sermon on the weekend, there's a part of me that wants people to think that that was a good talk. So even when I'm trying to do the right thing, often I have wrong motives. I'm worried about what people are going to... I'm just being transparent, right? Like I, There's a piece of me that wants you to be impressed with the preacher. 
right? Now, yeah, I want you to get what's in the message, but I also want you to like the way I said the message. So when I read this, I feel like it's God actually still right now, even in this moment, talking to me personally when he says, Sean, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. You should be humble and you should think of others as better than, your, than themselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others also. So this is the Apostle Paul writing, and it's almost like he goes, you know what? You know who is the best example of this? Verse 5 says, you need to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to hang on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his rights. Bro, there's nothing more countercultural in America than a Christian who is willing to give up their rights. Like, we struggle with, regardless of what side of the mask issue you're on, the idea that you would yield to somebody else on that basic thing, a dumb thing like a mask, like we're making hardcore stances. You see what I'm saying? Over things like masks. The Forget giving up my rights. I just don't want to be stinking inconvenienced. Right? Like, <laughs> like there's nothing more un-American than somebody who would be willing to give up their rights, which is exactly what Jesus did. It goes against our nature. What I want is I want to claim my rights. I want to make you respect my rights. I want you to honor my rights. I, I, don't, I don't naturally think I need to yield my rights. You must have the same attitude. The way he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Uh, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Um, yeah. So what I do to get around this I describe what it means to serve others in generic terms. Because if I can describe or define the term of serving others in a generic way, then I can count me just being a decent human being, like letting somebody else in traffic cut in front of me. See, I'm, I'm serving. I'm serving them. Now, one, it didn't really cost me anything. Two, it didn't really inconvenience anything, but it was me not doing something mean. Therefore, I'm, I'm serving my, my fellow man. I'm, I'm coaching. And yeah, that, that is, that, that's, that's like, that's that some, and I'm talking about myself. I'm not talking about you. And so I'll volunteer to coach my kids because I don't want my kids to get a bad coach. I want my kids to get a fair shot, but because other kids are being benefited by this or other families are being I consider myself a really fine, upstanding citizen in the town of Stoughton. When really, I mean, equally a part of my motive is making sure that my kids get a chance to start, if I'm going to be completely transparent. But I'll count myself as a really good person because I serve the town by, by coaching. Like I, So I'll keep it in, in generic terms is what I do so that I get to let myself off the hook on the more expensive ways of, of serving. Um, here's the thing. When Jesus calls us to serve other people, 
Uh, it's not the people that I'm obligated to serve. It's not the people that are convenient for me to serve. And it's not the people that I get a tangible return on my investment with by serving. There were two specific directions in which we as Christians are called to serve. We're called to serve in the church and we're called to serve as the church. Now I need to make a note right here up front that the rest of the teaching today isn't for those of us who are not sure where we stand in our relationship with God. Because if you're not a follower of Jesus, God is not trying to impose rules on you that don't fit the house. Like I've got rules for my kids that don't apply to your kids because your kids ain't my kids, right? Like there's things I want for all kids, uh, but there's, and we've just got done talking about that, uh, all of those things for us, but there's things I've got special that I want my kids to do because they're part of my family. So with the time that I have remaining serving in the church and as the church, these, these last two pieces are specifically for those of us of the household of faith. You are called to serve in your church. First Corinthians chapter 12 says this. I'm gonna skip through the chapter, but what he says is there are different kinds of spiritual gifts that each person have. You have spiritual gifts if you're a Christian. So I'm gonna to speak to Christians now for the rest of the teaching today. Uh, if you, you have spiritual gifts, uh, but the same spirit is the source of them all. So you have spiritual gifts, I have spiritual gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit that gave me my gifts that gave you your gifts. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. So there's different ways in which we're going to serve God. I'm serving God by exercising my spiritual gift of teaching right now. You're serving God, hopefully, in some way in which you are uniquely or differently gifted than I am uh, also. So there are different kinds of service, but we're still serving the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. So get this. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us, why? Look why you have your spiritual gift. So that we can do what? Help each other. So my spiritual gifts were, according to the Bible, were given to me for who's good? For yours. Like everything about the way that God has wired me has not been for my good, it's been for yours. And I don't know that I look at my life as a tool to be, yes, I look at my life, I look at my time, I look at my money, I look at my opportunities as resources to be leveraged to make sure that I'm, re I'm prepared for retirement, to make sure that my kids are prepared to go to college, to help my kids with a down payment, or to make sure that my wife and I spend quality time now that we're empty nesters so that we don't lose touch with each other. Uh, I'm just saying that most of the daydreaming I do with the, with the marginal time, uh, the money, or the opportunity I have really is all about how I can make me more. And maybe I'm missing the whole other side of all of the value that God intends to bring through what he's given me. Verse 12 says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are, are brown, black, white, yellow. Some of us are English native speakers. Some of us are, I don't know, Portuguese, Spanish, Creole, Ghanaian, Swahili, like we've got all different languages. We've all got different backgrounds. Some of us, he says, are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. 
Verse 18 says, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Verse 25 says, this makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. Uh, care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So the metaphor for the church that he uses is that there is one human body made up of many individual parts. I don't know if you're familiar with the 80-20 rule. You probably are, but the idea is that 80% 80 of your work produces 20% of the return of the product. Uh, the converse of that is that 20% of what you're doing uh, produces 80% of the return. And the reason why they highlight that is so that you can maybe carve out more time to put towards the 20% that gives you the 80% of the return. And I'm wondering if you'd be surprised if I told you that while that same percentage works in your place of business, uh, uh, and, uh, with in our education, with the time that we spend studying, that that same percentage also applies uh, in, in the church. And can you imagine what would happen if more of the 80% that aren't fully leveraging, here's the thing, if you're part of the 80%, like you have value that you just didn't know you had. Like there are things that you can do in this church family that nobody else can do. There are things that God intends you to do in his kingdom that nobody, it's, it will forever be undone if you don't get in the game personally. Galatians chapter 5, 13 says this, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. We've been set free from sin, from the requirements of the law, from guilt. What he's saying is you have free will. You can do with your life what you want. The Apostle Paul says, use your free will to choose to serve each other in the body of Christ. The second direction that we're called to serve, we're to serve in the church. We're also to serve as the church. The church collectively has been given a job to go into all of the world, make disciples, baptize those disciples, and teach them to follow Jesus. But in going, we, the church, and members individually of this body of believers are to serve people. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 25. And what he says is, uh, on the judgment day, I will separate all of the sheep uh, and goats, uh, the sheep on the right hand, these are the ones who will enter eternity uh, in the presence of God. The goats, these are the ones that spend eternity separated from God. And here's what he says. The king will say to those on his right, uh, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink, a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and gave you clothing? He said, uh, when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then he says that I will say to the goats, you never did any of those things. Then they will reply, this is verse 44, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. 
Verse 46 is kind of heavy, and here's what he says. And they will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. It's almost like the defining characteristic of somebody who is marked by the presence of God's Spirit in them, who is God's kid, lives by God's values, and it is seen in the way we actually tangibly meet people's needs. Everywhere Jesus went, he did this. He, there's a verse, Jesus finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. It's his cousin. It's a person he's known his entire life. It's his closest friend who's known him all of his life. He's dead. And Jesus just wants to get alone and spend some time in solitude, grieving the loss of, of his friend, of his cousin. But the Bible says that when he saw the multitude, he felt compassion on them, and then he healed them. Spent the whole day doing this. Other passages of scripture said that he, he raised the lame, he cured people's diseases. Yes, he preached, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. But he also met their physical needs and served them. Now, he fed 5,000 people plus women and children. And there was only 120 people in the upper room. What that tells me is Jesus knew that 4,880 of these people would reject him and he still served him. So we serve in the church, and we, as the church, serve others who are not a part of it. One of my mentors said this, we are never more like Jesus as a church than we are serving those outside the church. One last thought. According to a 2017 study in Psychology Today, everyone goes through a cost-benefit analysis in their head when they contemplate whether or not they are going to assist other people financially or otherwise. If the emotional, physical, or financial cost is too high, they withdraw their assistance. And when they, and I'm going to quote, are not personally accountable for offering help to others, they will be less inclined to exhibit adaptive help helping behavior. We worry about the ROI on this. And truthfully, there are ways in which I've served now where there was no tangible return on my investment of money, return on my investment of time, or some other way or act of service. But here's what the scripture says in Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal because where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now, yes, that's a passage about our finances, but there's other treasures that we have that are not money, like my time, like my my energy, my physical resources. And he says, you're either going to spend these things on yourself or you're going to invest them in my kingdom purposes. And when you invest them in others, he says, you're actually storing your reward for a later date. It's the reason why I'll put $100 into a mutual fund now so that when I'm 65, I've got more. That's what Jesus says. He says, be a wise investor of these things. Jesus guarantees our investment. And right now, you determine, here's the thing, I almost got ahead of myself. The crazy thing is that God has already invested in you. When Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, when he forgave you of your sins, when he adopted you into his family, he invested in you, and you right now get to make the choice on whether or not you personally are a good return on Jesus's investment. Going back to when Jesus washed everybody's feet, he washed Peter's feet, 
and he washed Judas's feet. Both of those guys denied and rejected Jesus that night. And it wasn't their rejection, it wasn't their sin that determined the return on investment. It was what they did after they sinned. Because Peter repented and changed the way he lived the rest of his life. Judas did not. So the way you've lived up to now isn't the main thing. The question is, what do you do from now? That's what's going to determine whether or not you personally are going to be a good return on God's investment. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's a call only you can make. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you get the opportunity to decide whether or not you're going to receive the investment that God made on your behalf. You get to choose whether or not you will accept that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that pays your sin, but pays off your sin before God. And if you're willing to accept that, you'll call on Jesus to forgive you and save you. You'll go all in as a devoted follower of Jesus. You will accept God's investment on your behalf. If you're a devoted follower of Jesus, I want you to consider how you are living your life right now. Are you living your life as an expression of love for God and your service to your local church and through your local church or as your local church and the needs of other people? I can't make any of these adjustments for you. Only you can do that. So I'll have you pray, if you would bow your head with me. God, I'm thankful for every person who's a part of this service today. For those of us who've been spiritually disconnected from you, who recognize that your investment in us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is something that we need for ourselves, I pray that right now we would call on you to forgive us and to save us. So may that's your prayer. Jesus, forgive me and save me from my sin. Help me to follow you with the rest of my life. I'm all in. If you're already a devoted follower of Jesus, I'm asking you to consider not whether or not you love others or whether or not you're devoted to others. Those were the last two weeks. Today, I'm asking you to consider whether or not you're living your life in service to others in your church family and as an expression of your church family at work, in your community, at school, wherever. God, I pray that you would show us the gaps the ways in which you have equipped us to make a legitimate difference in the world and then to step up and take our swing. Um, God, you want to give every one of us a chance in the batter's box, uh, but God, we got to swing our bat, and that's what I'm asking you to move us in our heart to do. I ask this in Jesus' name, and we all pray and say together, amen. Thanks for being a part of our services this weekend. I'm glad that you're here. If today you went all in as a devoted follower of Jesus, uh, please text the word all in to the number that's on the screen right now. If you're a follower of Jesus and you give God first out of every area of your life, one of those ways that we do that is with our resources. We don't give to support a church, but we give to God through a local church. If you are a Christian and you're a part of our church family, uh, most of us are already doing this online, but you can do this online by following the instructions on the screen uh, also, if there's any way we could be a blessing in your life, all you have to do is let us know. That's what we're here for. Um, yeah, thanks for being part of our service, and we'll see you next week.